The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? All right, let's pray together. God, um, we just come before you, and we are so thankful for this promise that we can ask and we know that you hear us and you want to give us good things. Um, so Lord, we just ask for your presence here. Um, we ask for your will to be done. We ask that um, we will just grow in faith in this time and that we would see you move and that good would come out of this time. Um, so I just pray for Randall as he give us, gives us a sermon today. I just pray that you'd bless him and that our hearts would be open uh, to whatever you want to teach us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, good morning. Hey, let me get set up here. I'm bringing up my phone because I want to stay connected with you, and I want this to be a time where we can interact together uh, around God's Word. Uh, We've been in this series in the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're going to continue in that. Um, But I do want to say that, you know, we're in this time right now as a church as a nation where um, we can continue to, to be the church even though we're not gathering together. But there is something uh, special and unique that we need, and that's the human connection, the human element of all of this. And so uh, beyond just the video uh, that we're doing in this live stream, I want you to know that um, we're here for you, and we care about you, and we love you. And I can't wait for the day when we're able to gather together again um, as as brothers and sisters, and uh, so I just want to say hello to all of you. Maybe you're in San Diego, maybe you're somewhere in this country, across the nation, um, or, or just around the world, but I just want to say uh, we're glad that you're here, we're glad that you're with us, and um, you know, we're in this time uh, for us as a church where we're coming together uh, for our city, and, and we're talking about the strategic alliance, and the heart behind it is that we are um, brothers and sisters connected for the glory of God, and we really do want to see our, our, our community transformed because of the gospel of Jesus. Um, so today, um, you know, th- I, I was just thinking about that this past week, uh, virtually, you can still stay connected. So one of the ways that uh, me and my family did that this past week week as we jumped into our city group. So Ryan and Kathy Ferrer, you guys are out there right now. Shout out. Um, We had our group this past Friday, and it was awesome. It was awesome to still see faces of people that are out there right now. So I just want to say, love you guys. Thankful for you. 
All right, so today our text is Matthew 7, 1 through 11. And in this text, Jesus uh, is talking uh, about a lot of things. But in particular, he's, he's talking about prayer. Um, so the message today is this, learning to pray. Now, as a church, over this past year, we've been studying Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been looking at how this message gives us marks or indicators of what a real Christian looks like. Uh, Don't you think about that sometimes? Uh, Am I really a Christian, right? Like, you can play the game. You can do a lot of things that look very Christian, but, but really at the heart of it, am I a Christian? And so... As we've been looking at this sermon, that's really what Jesus has been guiding us through, um, starting in Matthew 5 all the way now to the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. And today's message is very important because Jesus is giving us very practical steps on how to pray. Um, You see, Jesus mentions prayer back in Matthew 6, um, verses 9 through 13, and and what we find there is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So something that I realized during this time of of being together with my family is uh, I asked my kids one day, I said, do you guys know the Lord's Prayer? And they looked at me and they said, no. I'm like, oh, that's a problem. And so what we've been doing every morning is going together and just reciting the Lord's Prayer. And so that's a great thing that you can do with your family during this time or just personally as we go through all of this. But the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 9, uh, or Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And, and he revisits this, this idea of prayer again in Matthew chapter 7. Now, this section is not only an invitation to pray, but it is also a preparation to pray. You see, like anything else that's important, we need to prepare for something that, 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 that gets us to that place where we're ready for it. And so what Jesus does today is he helps us in getting ready to pray. Uh, but before we jump into that, I want to ask you a personal question. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? You know, there was a Pew Research uh, study that was done that found that 63% of Christians in the U.S. believe praying regularly is an essential part of their Christian identity. But we know how that works, right? We can say something is essential, but how do we engage in it? How often are we engaging in prayer? See, those are two different things, right? To say something, but actually to engage in it. And let's be honest. In many ways, we feel unprepared to pray many times, don't we? We we feel unprepared to to jump in and and say, okay, Lord, like, here's my heart. Here's what this looks like. Um, I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, we are naturally not good at this. We need practice, especially in the initial stages. We feel uneasy, awkward, and bored. The Bible trains us to uh, to, to pray with others who have prayed and are praying. Put our knees on a level with other bent knees. Lift our hands in concert with other lifted hands. Join our voices in lament and praise with other voices who weep and laugh. The primary use of prayer is not for expressing ourselves, but in becoming ourselves. And we cannot do that alone. You see, we need to come together, not only virtually, but we need to come together in prayer. And we have to ask ourselves, well, oh, how does that happen? Well, Jesus gives us some guidance today in our text in Matthew 7, 1 through 11. What we see is that Jesus is preparing our heart to get to this place where we do pray. 
And so how can we learn to pray? Well, in today's text, we learned three ways. And so if you've got your Bible, you can open up your Bible, again, to Matthew 7, 1 through 11. And here's what we see. There's three ways. Jesus gives us um, the door to prayer, the safety of prayer, and the desire for prayer. The door to prayer, the safety of prayer, and the desire for prayer. And so first, the door to prayer. Now let's look at verses one through five together, okay? And so it says this, judge not that you not be judged. For what, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, why does Jesus start here? What, when we're talking about prayer, what, why do we need to start in this place? Well, look at verses one and two. He says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be judged or will be measured to you. First, here's what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying that we we don't make wise, discerning judgments about things. Jesus covers that later in verse six, okay? But, But here's what he does mean. It's this, that you either believe you are on the throne as judge or you believe you are under the true judge. Let me say that again. You either believe you are on the throne as judge or you believe you are under the true judge. See, John Stott says this. He says, our Lord's injunction to not judge cannot be understood as a command to suspend our critical faculties in relation to other people to turn a blind eye to their faults, pretending not to notice them, to refuse to discern between truth and error, goodness and evil. But what he is saying is this, that you and I are not the ultimate judge. See, look at the weight of verse two. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Do you realize what that's saying? If we let this soak in for a minute, it's saying this, you and I aren't equipped to be the ultimate judge because we would be crushed underneath the weight of it. Underneath the weight of it. You and I don't have the wisdom, grace, discernment, perfection to be on the throne as judge. But many times what we want to do is we want to be the ultimate judge of reality and the ultimate judge of our lives and what's going on right now, but we don't have the wisdom or discernment to do that. Jesus is pointing us to how we judge very often, but we're not supposed to be on the throne. Now, in 2016, the hashtag Taylor Swift is canceled started. It started over whether or not she lied about something. And here's what she said about the experience in a 2019 Vogue magazine article. She said, when you say someone is canceled, it's not a TV show. It's a human being. You're sending mass amounts of messaging to this person to disappear. 
Do you understand that we live in a society that loves to be on the throne? That loves to judge? Right, right. We, we all have judgments and discernments, but, but at the end of the day, you and I are not equipped with the knowledge that we need. Have you ever judged something prematurely and then found out information later that you wish you would have known earlier because you made a really bad judgment about something? See, what this is saying is this. Jesus is pointing us to the fact that we need an ultimate judge that knows much more than we do. You and I are not equipped to be the ultimate judge. See, only God can fill that role. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? Well, to understand the need for prayer, we must see, number one, this, our need for a judge. You see, prayer starts with humility. Prayer starts with getting off of the throne of our lives and saying, okay, God, you be in that place because you're the only one wise enough to be in that place. Psalm 75, seven says this, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. See, God is seated on the throne. But secondly, it shows us this, our need for grace. Look at verses three through five. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there was a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what's this log that Jesus is talking about here? Because this, is a, this is, was meant to be a really funny illustration, right? You think of somebody with a log just kind of sticking out of their eye, but looking at somebody with a speck in their eye and say, let me get that for you. Right, so Jesus is, 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 is telling us here like, okay, well, look at the log. Now, what is that log? Well, it's what the Bible calls sin, right? Sin is that self-absorption, that denial of God, the, the, the belief that, that I can be the God of my own life, right? There's a log in our eye that's sticking out and causing us not to see life clearly, causing us not to see God clearly. About this verse, Sinclair Ferguson says, what is wrong with such a man? He's looking for sins in other people and he pounces whenever he sees one. So absorbed is he in his campaign that he is blind to the fact that he has sin in his own life that is far greater than anything he sees in the lives of others. So deeply has his sin conquered him that he has become blind to it. Sensitive to the sin in others, he has been desensitized to the sin in his own heart. The sin in his own heart. Right? You, when you start to see your sin as a log, and others, people's sin as a speck, you know what happens? You start to see life more clearly. You see, start to see more, life more clearly. You'll, you'll start to see in a way that you never saw before. You'll start to see this, that you need grace. I need grace. We need grace. See, Jesus is preparing us to pray by ridding us of our self-determination, our self-deception, self-glory, and showing us that we need God's grace. See, what is grace? It's the unearned, undeserved love and favor of God. It's when you look at your sin and you see it as a log. You say, man, there's a lot in there. 
It's a lot bigger than I thought it was. It's just protruding out of my eye and causing me to see the world in a way that isn't glorifying to God. You, you see, there's, there's no way a perfect God could love me based on my own effort. If there's, there's this kind of log protruding out of my eye. But God, through his grace, has completely loved me because of his own effort in Jesus. Grace. See, God, through grace, has completely loved me, and I didn't deserve it. That's grace. See, a righteous judge who looks at us and doesn't give us what we deserve, but instead gives us what we could have never deserved is grace. I've heard it said before, God's grace is reverse karma. Karma says, you get what you deserve. God's grace says, you get what you don't deserve. And so here it is. The door to prayer starts by seeing ourselves clearly in the light of who God is as a judge, but yet as beggars, that's who we are, beggars, because we have this log out of our eye and we say, God, help me with this log. I need your grace. And what this does is it strips us from the facade, from the pretending, from the posturing. And here's what it does. It gets us to a place where we fall on our knees in humility, coming as we are, and saying, God, help me. What it does is it gets to us to the place where we are lowly in spirit. Remember back in, in Matthew 5, verse 3, what it says? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, the only way that we can get to a place of being prayerful people is being on our knees saying, God, I don't deserve it. God, I need your grace. And it gets us to a place where we're lowly in spirit. Second, it's this. We see it in verses six through eight, the safety of prayer. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, what, what do we find out about the safety of prayer in this verse? Well, Look at verse six. It says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that we can take our deepest, most important treasures to people before God. We, we can take things and trust things that are very important to us that are holy things, and we, can, and we can put them in the hands of people before we do God. Let's be honest. Many of us have been hurt deeply by trusting people before God, right? We, we tell people this certain thing about ourselves, or, or we put this out there, and, and then what happens is um, that people didn't, didn't understand, quite understand what that meant, or, or, or whatever it might be, and so we put ourselves out there, but then it just gets trampled. See, but verse six is about discernment. It's about discernment. Do you take, let me ask you, do you take your deepest things to people before God? It might be the reason you've put up walls to protect yourself. You've personally isolated yourself for a long time and said, never again. You have trust issues. Right? There's all of these things that start to happen in our lives when we start to take things to people before God. 
Why is there the potential for so much hurt when we take things to people before God? Well, Jesus is telling us that all humans have the capacity to be self-absorbed, insensitive, defensive, self-protecting, so much so that we can even at times lose the capacity to be human and hurt the ones we love the most. Right? I've been married for 14 years going on 15 years. And there are times where even in my marriage, the person that I love the most in the world, right? We've said something that hurt one another or we didn't understand each other or we weren't sensitive to one another during that time, right? Th that happens. See, the ability to listen, to empathize, to understand. Where can you get that all the time? With God, with God. That's why it says in John 2, 24, this, that Jesus, it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. Now, now what does that mean? Well, well, Jesus didn't completely entrust himself to people because he knew what was in people. That, that we all have a sinful nature, that we all can be at times insensitive to one another. And so Jesus understood this. Where did he go? He went to prayer. He went to prayer. Even Jesus' closest disciples betrayed him, but Jesus would continually go back to prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't trust anybody, but what it means is trust God first and be wise. Trust God first and be wise. Be wise about the things that you place out there. Tr process them in prayer. So where can you go first? Well, prayer. Look at verse seven through eight. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What this is, is it, it, God is telling us that there is an open door policy with him. Now, I have three kids, and one of the things I know is that my kids believe that there is an open door policy at all times of the day, night, whenever uh, they have an opportunity to come in. It's just, they don't knock, they just, boom, and in my door, like the door to, to uh, me and my wife's room, it's like one of those doors that like, if you like push it in, it, it, it's a jolt, to you, okay? Like, you're like, whoa, okay, what's, what's happening right now? And so they, they just bust through the door and they ask us questions at all hours. They ask us for things at all times. And what Jesus is telling us is this, that you can bring your deepest thoughts, hurts, pains, losses, treasures to God. And he says, seek me and you'll find me. I care about what, what you're going through. See, Jesus lives this out in Mark 1.35. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Where he prayed. Why? Because Jesus knows that the safest place is in the presence of God. That's the safest place. Let me ask, have you ever read the Psalms before? It can be scary how honest the Psalms are. Out of the 150 psalms, a majority of them are prayers. And here's what one commentator, Derek Kidner, uh, said about the psalms. He said this. He says, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture 
is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. See, there is a safety in opening up to God to the point where you think, can you even say that? Because if you read through the Psalms, you'll you'll get to Psalms like Psalm 39. You'll be like, wow, can you say that? But we find that the scriptures are helpful for us in discerning and understanding uh, really the human emotions and everything that we go through. Because I know that some of you, you, right now, we're going through some very scary moments where we think to ourselves, where do I take this? Right, where do I take some of the emotions that I'm having? Where, where do I take some of the feelings that I'm having? But what we see earlier in Matthew 6 is that Jesus instructs us, go to your room, close the door, spend time with me. It's safe to come to me in prayer. Lastly, we see the desire for prayer. Okay, verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, we learn two things that should motivate our desire for prayer. Right, and what I'm talking about here is like, like a motivation to pray because sometimes we don't have that motivation, right? But what we need, a motivation, a desire change to happen in our hearts. What does that? Well, first, it's understanding this. The first part of verse 11, it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven? Now, we need to understand God's position in our lives. And what does he describe his position as? As a father. As a father to a child. See, this tells us the intimacy of who God is and what he desires to be in our life. Now, for some of us, when we we hear the word father, this is a struggle for us. Because the position of father doesn't always bring up good memories. Could be a source of deep pain for some of us. So, so when we hear God as father, what we can do is we can start to apply what we've experienced from our earthly fathers to our heavenly father. But throughout scripture, what we find is that God is a good father. He's a perfect father. He's a father that cares for us deeply. Last night, I watched this movie with my kids called Onward, and I didn't really know the premise of the movie, but um, just to give a little bit of a synopsis, it's about a young man, he's about 16 years old, has his birthday, and has never had his father in his life. And so what the whole movie is about is about him trying to bring back his dad. And throughout the movie, it's, it's, it's trying to get to the end so that he can at least talk with his dad, at least have a relationship with his dad. And the reason that that movie just resonated so much, I think for me and, and you know, my, my little daughter who's six years old, she turned to me, she said, dad, did you cry? I said, yeah, I did. 
but but what what this is 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 that search that all of us have right even even in the best homes with the best fathers there's something deep in you that knows that there was a father whose arms you were meant to be in a perfect father that's out there whatever your situation is that there's a perfect father that's out there that you've never really like met before in person but you've always longed for or yearned for. And what Jesus is telling us is that the arms that you've always been looking for is the arms of the Father, God the Father. And that's the whole point of why Jesus came, is to place you back in his arms. See, D.A. Carson said this, sadly, many of God's children labor under the delusion that their heavenly Father extracts some malicious glee out of watching his children squirm now and then. The Christian is to remind himself often of the sheer goodness of God and therefore the resources available to him. The resources available to him. Right, I've heard people say before, well, well, don't go to God in prayer because if you pray that specific thing, or he's gonna give you something else. He's gonna give you something worse. But I wanna tell you today, friends, that that's not biblical because what we find in scripture is that God is always looking out for our best interest, even though it might not be the thing that you thought you wanted. The, the thing that, that was gonna come into your life and you thought there's no way that that would be the best thing. But there's a father who cares for us, who doesn't just give us whatever gifts that we want and just throw it into our lives if we can't handle it. He's a caring, loving father in that way. And so, secondly, find God's posture. Verse 11, uh, the second part, it says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Give good things, right? There are things that are good for us that we might not realize right now, but, but God knows, God knows. And so, what is it? look like for us to look at God and see that God is good and is actually looking out for our best interests, for our best interests. When we see that, it it starts to change our desires. It transforms prayer from a have-to to a get-to. Andrew Murray, who was a pastor, once said, he said, oh, let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Oh, let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Now, I want to say, like, the really important word in there is become. Become. Become to me the most beloved spot on earth. You know why? Because there's a lot of other places that we find more lovely than being in prayer. But it's, it's, it's praying that, that God allows us to see prayer as something that is the most beloved spot on earth to us. Change of desires. And so let me give you some takeaways. First, number one, where does prayer fit into your life? Where does prayer fit into your life? And, and you know, we, we don't have to be fake about that. We don't, we don't have to act like things are better than they are. But we can be honest about it and real. Uh, Corey Ten Boom once said this. She says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? 
Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And we can be honest. We can say, hey, yeah, it's actually been my spare tire for a while, um, and I only break it out when there's troubles. Uh, But now we can ask God and say, okay, what does it look like for it to be the steering wheel? God, what does it look like for you to be the, the judge, but also the father who just guides, right? I'm not the judge. I don't know what's best for my life. I made bad judgment calls in my life, but you've had sheer grace on me. And so, Lord, help me, guide me, direct me. Right, those are things that I'm praying right now. I'm right, just saying, Lord, help me, guide me to put prayer as, as that steering wheel in my life. And it's yours, Lord. You direct, you guide. And so that's the first one. Where does prayer fit into your life? But secondly, it's this. Would you be willing to lean into prayer during difficult times? Right, friends, we're, we're in a difficult time right now. And, and, and what happens, sadly, is that in difficult times, it, it presses us so much that we stop acting like Christians. We stop reading the word. We stop praying. We, we, we stop spending time with other believers. And so what my, my question to you is this, would you, would you start with leaning into prayer during difficult times? Now, recently we celebrated St. Patrick's Day and I've always been fascinated by his life. Um, I just finished this book with, with a group of guys, um, leaders that, that we went through this book called the, the Celtic Way of Evangelism, okay? And in the book, it gave the story of St. Patrick. Now, if you don't know much about his, his story, he, he lived around 400 AD, and when he was 16 years old, he was captured by pirates and, and sold into slavery in Ireland. Right? He lived in England, was captured, taken to Ireland as a slave. And as a slave, he was given the task of, of pasturing uh, the flocks. And so he was out um, pasturing the flocks, and, and when he was younger, what I learned is that he grew up in a Christian home. Uh, but, but, but it really never really took it that seriously, right? It, it even said that he would mock some of the clergy um, as a young man. But as he was taken into slavery and he was pasturing the flocks, um, he started to see uh, God in creation. And, and all those things that he'd learned over the years started to come back to his mind again. And here's what he wrote later in his biography called Confession. He said this. He said, after I had arrived in Ireland, I found myself pasturing flocks daily. I prayed a number of times each day. More and more, the love and fear of God came to me and faith grew and my spirit was exercised until I was praying up to a hundred times every day and in the night nearly as often. Now this is, talking about a young man who did not start in that place. He didn't start that way. But he eventually got there. You know, I heard one time that the reason, uh, this was a pastor, Tim Chaddock, he said, the reason we don't pray isn't because we're too busy. It's because we're too self-reliant. And what I see is that we can lean into our self-reliance during this time or we can lean into a reliance upon God. And as St. Patrick was pressed into this very difficult situation where he's taken into slavery, 
it says that he starts to pray like never before. And so would we take on the challenge of praying like never before during this time? Because this is an opportunity to connect with God. If you're saying, where, where do I start? I mean, I've heard, you know, before, just a simple way to start, and it could feel a little weird at first, but just going into a room by yourself and taking a chair and putting it in front of you and just talking, just talking to God and, and just knowing that he's there with you and he listens and he cares for you because he's promised that. Now, at the end of the day, how do you know, and I know, that God hears our prayers? Well, I know that he's promised that he will hear our prayers. But what we have and what we can feed off of is this. It's that Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, in his most difficult times, he prayed. And in the most difficult moment of, 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 of Jesus' life is when he's in Gethsemane, praying in the garden there. And what we see is that the, the God himself goes to great lengths to be with us. And here's what it says in Matthew 26, verse 39. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed this prayer again and again. See, he came to his father. And what we find is that Jesus, in his darkest moment, experienced the judgment that we deserved. Why? It's so that we could experience the acceptance of God as our Father. See, as Jesus came in prayer, he was rejected so that you and I could be accepted. And when you think to yourself, God, you, you surely can't be hearing me right now. Think of the Son. Think of what he did for you. Think of the promise and the great lengths that he went to you, went, went for for you. Because at every level, Jesus faced the pains of life so that we could experience the riches of knowing God as Father. So that we could experience the riches of knowing God as Father. Are you saying today, how do I get through? How do I make it through this moment right now? I invite you to Christ to find that he's made the ultimate sacrifice so that you can know that your prayers are heard and that he loves you and he cares deeply for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't just know conceptually that you hear us, but you came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You came to suffer for us. You faced the darkest moments. And so God, as we are in a dark time right now, we pray that your light shine through and bring us hope. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for 
allowing us to come to you as children, to a loving father who will embrace us. Because Jesus was rejected, we can be received. And so we pray that the gospel will penetrate our hearts, that there will be a depth within us because of the gospel and what Christ has done, and that you will teach us to pray. That we will come in humility, Lord, seeing that we are sinners, beggars in need of your grace. Lord, that we will come knowing that you are a safe place that we can come. Lord, and and knowing that you will change our desires, change us from the inside out, and make us people of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.